Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back, everyone. I am Christina, your host for today, and we're very happy to have you listening along to the Beer Ladies podcast. Um, Quick order of business before we get into it. Just a reminder to check us out on YouTube and please subscribe and follow us. um, Find us wherever you can get your podcasts. And we thank you very much for your support so far and hope you're enjoying the show. So in... uh, normal fashion. We're going to kick off uh, today's episode with the perennial question. What are you drinking? So Erica, can you tell us a little bit about your beverage of choice today? Yeah. um, So I have whiplash beer, um, which was brewed and packaged at my place of employment. Uh, It's called the Quad of Paradise and it's a Belgian quadruple. And I'm just showing the camera some of the beautiful artwork. Uh, Kind of looks like pink sort of umbrellas that are flowers coming out of black stems and it's a 440 can and it's coming in at 11.1 percent um but I'm on the late shift tomorrow so I'm gonna allow myself this treat (laughs) (laughs) and uh Morella a little early where you are so might not be having beer today huh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not too early for beer it's 11 um that being said uh, I'm I'm not having beer right now. I'm drinking some some hot water, just to stay hydrated. And uh, it's it's funny as I, I'm getting you have a beer too, Christina. Oh yes, um, I'm drinking yes um, uh, the Double New England IPA from Porterhouse. Um, this is part of the Manaw Collective um, collaboration. So it's women artists who have designed and an art for all the cans, which I just think is really cool. Um, this says never have I ever. Um, and there's, there's a collection of a couple of them and, um, yeah, I just think they're really cool. And this is 8%. So, um, yeah, it's a lot for a school night. So I will uh, be drinking this quite slowly. Um, but yeah, I just, it's funny because, um, (laughs) I'm just reminded my, uh, my mentor, uh, Lorenzo, who's a, uh, a lambic Italian craft beer expert often talks about because you know we we judge in beer competitions, um, but there are people who judge water competitions, right? <laughs> so and he calls them uh, les buveurs tristes, which is the the sad drinkers, Aww. and uh, that's how I'm feeling right now watching the two of you drink beer. <laughs> 
have my hot water. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to just briefly introduce our listeners to our guest today. So our guest today is Mirella Amato, and she is beerology. Um, And we're just really excited to have her on the show and talk about her new course and a little bit about her background in beer. Um, So I just want to kind of kick off today with asking a little bit of what got you interested in beer? How did you, what, what started your journey? I had a really unusual experience, I think from, you know, certainly an unusual experience for someone uh, of my time, um, which is that I was introduced to craft beer first. So as soon as I started drinking, I was out at the pubs drinking uh, cast conditioned amber ales mostly. And uh, this is due to the fact that my, my drinking buddy at the time was, uh, oh yeah, I imagine maybe in Europe, it's a different experience, but um, in North America, it's an unusual experience. My drinking buddy at the time uh, had spent a lot of time in England and so was really drawn to these more flavorful beers. So, so my passion really was sparked when I hung out with other people and saw them drinking the same beer by the pitcher all night when there were all these cool (laughs) flavors to explore. And um, so I became that really annoying friend who was always dragging people out to the fancy pubs to get the (laughs) fancy beers. (laughs) And, uh, and I think my excitement was even, or my passion grew even deeper when I realized that I could just drive over brewery and talk to who made this beer Mm -hmm. and find out what that's all about. Um, so, you know, that whole local aspect was also really exciting to me. So, so that's how it started. And, you know, at the time craft beer was not a thing the way it is now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it was, you know, there were those of us who were really hardcore into it and then most people didn't even really realize it existed. So, um, back in the day, I was fond of saying, you know, when I retire, I'll write a book about craft beer to get people to, you know understand this beverage a little bit better and uh, uh you know as things transpired I ended up being able to work in beer before I retired and also <laughs> write that book before I retired so it worked out very nicely for me and what's that book called Marilla oh it's called beerology everything you need to know to enjoy beer even more <laughs> well congratulations on that um being an author is a really big deal and um something you must be very proud of I am I am very much proud of the book and it's it's won some awards which is fun uh, and also been translated into French which I assisted with uh, and into um, German and you know the goal with my book is to help sort of untangle a lot of the information with 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 beer and with craft beer uh, as I'm sure you both know beer gets very technical very fast mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the early literature on, 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 on craft beer and a lot of the early anything about craft beer was rooted in home brewing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the way, certainly at the time and still today, in many cases that people explain beer is really from a homebrew perspective and includes all kinds of information that you need if you want to brew a beer, but not so much if you just want to drink and enjoy mm-hmm. it. So my book was really about focus. I always, and all of my work now focuses on, you know, what's in the glass and what do I need to know to really love and appreciate this beer in front of me and maybe enjoy it even more through food pairing or through, through, you know, um, the proper glassware, et cetera. But 
you know, not necessarily leaving out the details that aren't required unless you're planning to uh, brew a beer or, you know, or judge a beer, which is again, a different, a, a different kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just, I would like to ask you actually about sort of some of those technical things, because um, you are a master Cicerone and a beer sommelier and you have advanced brewing certificates and you're actually, you're I can talk a national level BJCP beer judge. So um, if you want to talk to our listeners and explain a little bit about what being a Cicerone is or the difference maybe between being a Cicerone, um, a sommelier and a beer judge, um, if there are great differences or not, and um, how you found your experiences sort of getting those qualifications. Sure. So maybe I'll do them in order that they were received. (laughs) So the first thing I did when I got into beer was get into the BJCP. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not even sure any books that are out there now, there were were very few books available. And the BJCP is an organization that categorizes and defines different styles. So so what is the difference between a Czech Pilsner and a German Pilsner, for example? Or what is the difference between an English style IPA and an American style IPA? And it gets really into the details. And this is, again, started by homebrewers, very important. Um, And so since I wanted to become an expert in beer, a logical first step for me was to understand the nuances between the styles. So Mm -hmm. what I did is I... Uh, went through the the guidelines and I would drink a beer while reading the guidelines and try to make sense of it. And then eventually start just drinking beers and take notes on those beers and then compare them to the guidelines until, you know, those two things converge. And I really felt that I had isolated those styles. And simultaneously, I was on a crusade to taste every single style in the BJCP. (laughs) And I think to this day, there's only one that I have not had um, and when I say I haven't had it, I'm talking about Kirsch. And when I say I haven't had Kirsch, I haven't had it in Cone. So I don't consider that I fully understand that style because mm-hmm. although I've had many, many examples, uh, including uh, German brewed examples from Cone, until I have it there, mm. uh, I, I, I feel like I haven't quite checked that box. <laughs> anyway, so at the time, that was a a huge written exam followed by a tasting exam. It's different now. Now I think the entry level is just a multiple choice online. And um, the way you move up the ranks in the BJCP is by uh, being better and better grades and judging experience, which I love. I love the way the pro, because I firmly believe expertise is a combination of knowledge and experience. And that's really how they play it. And um, so I was very lucky in that I, I got, a national level grade the first time I took the exam, which is at 80% or above. So then all I had to do was over, and it took me a couple of years, build enough uh, points to get to that national mm-hmm. level. So that's been wonderful. I remain a beer judge to this day. I judge in international beer competitions at the World Beer Cup and the Brussels Beer Challenge and the European Beer Star. Uh, not so much with COVID, sadly, but <laughs> hope to get back this year. And uh, I find it continues to be like a wonderful, wonderful place to learn about beer because there's no greater way to really keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on and really what's out there than judging blind, you know, drinking blind. Mm -hmm. I find I'm I'm a huge advocate of blind beer tastings. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want me to keep going? Oh, I I just feel like I've been talking. (laughs) I I had a couple of questions. Um, Yes. So 
do you think um, you're a super taster? Is this something that comes naturally or can it be taught or is it kind of a balance of both? That's uh, a question I get often. And I don't know if I'm a super taster. I have done, there's a, a, ta- a test that you do with this little bittering strip mm-hmm. that uh, apparently some people it's, taste it very strongly immediately and some people can't taste it. And that's sort of uh, entry level test about mm-hmm. super tasting. And uh, I certainly can taste that very strongly. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that means anything at the end of the day, except for, you know, that I can perceive that particular compound. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I haven't done any extensive tests about super tasting. Um, I think that the truth is there's two, two pieces, uh, to tasting and evaluating. And, um, in, from what I have seen, and I've conducted a lot of beer tastings in my day, a lot, most people are better tasters than they think they are. And if they're just relaxed and not thinking about it, I will often hear people just give amazing bang on descriptors. And the real skill that needs to be developed as far as I'm concerned in terms of becoming a better taster is not becoming better at tasting things, but becoming better at figuring out what it is that you are tasting, take it from your mouth, process it through your brain, and then come Mm -hmm. out with the descriptor, right? Mm -hmm. Because how many times have you tasted or smelled something like, oh, that's familiar, but you can't put your mm-hmm. finger on it. So the, the training really lies in making that connection and getting the connection to be as, as speedy as possible and doing what you can to strengthen that connection. I think that is the more challenging piece. More yeah. So then, you know, being a taster or super taster or whatever. Sure. And I yeah. think <laughs> the power of persuasion um, can be very strong if you're influenced by hearing what other people think they might see yes. or smell or taste. Um, so I think it's important to maybe uh, be a bit private about it initially and write it down and then compare later. Um, so you're not just agreeing. <laughs> well, yeah. And that like I. I remember when I was doing my BJCP um, certification and what exactly like you're saying, Marella, like the big learning curve for me was the vocabulary was learning. Like, I know that this is what this is, but what is the word for this? How can I explain this to someone else? What, what is this? Um, yeah, very, very kindly. Um, we, we did a course and, and, you know, they were, they were, pulling out beetroots and being like, this is earthy, smell this, this is what we need. Um, <laughs> put the things together, but it was so valuable to be able to, to kind of exactly like you're saying, harvest that vocabulary, um, which is, which is really quite a skill um, to, 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 to get. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would completely. And it, it just takes practice and constant practice, right? If you yeah. stop doing it for a couple of months you'll start slipping again so and i'm sure um if someone has covid and they've lost their smell and taste um that can potentially have knock-on effects as well it's uh been a big fear of mine for this whole because my whole work revolves around sensory so yeah um so far so good (laughs) and do you do you teach um like the off flavors, do you spike something and then explain like why this would be bad or why it might be desirable in certain situations? 
Uh, I did. I did for many years. So my work with virology has really always been about uh, driving the industry forward mm -hmm. and the way that I've sort of shaped and involved uh, and evolved the work that I do with virology has really been about always looking around and seeing what might be missing mm -hmm. in the industry, you know, what, what is needed and then sort of comparing that with my skill set and figuring out, you know, the, the best fit. So a, a number of years ago, uh, probably almost 10 years ago, I looked around and realized that there was no one offering uh, off flavor tastings. This is before mm -hmm. the Cicerone program created their little kits that you can now buy online and go train yourself at home. It really was not a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I created a three-day off flavor course and I offered it in uh, English here uh, in Ontario and in Ottawa, as well as in French in Montreal. And I did that for a number of years and I had home brewers, but a lot of professional brewers also in those classes. And um, it was a very, very, I mean, off flavors are fun, right? Yeah. It's, it's fun to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I did that for a number of years. I, I had to stop at one point. Um, I had some little uh, health issues. And uh, so, yeah, I think once COVID is over, I'll probably revive that. Although I probably will revamp it because again the Cicerone program now has those uh those off flavor kits for anyone who's looking for like an entry level off flavor course mm -hmm. so if I if I do start offering off flavor courses again I think they'll be more specifically geared towards professional brewers mm -hmm. and uh, fully utilizing all of the the brewing certificates that I've completed to to help them out sure and what would you recommend that someone do in order to get up to an intermediate level um, to take some of your classes? Like, are there things that they can be reading or listening to in the meantime? To take, sorry, I'm not sure I followed your question. Um, I think I read on your, your website um, that your courses are designed for people who are already at an intermediate level um, with the sensory training. Right. Um, so like how, okay. How yes, I understand. There? Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what you're referring to specifically, I think, is my new beer and food pairing course, Mastering mm -hmm. Beer and Food Pairing, brought to you mm -hmm. by Beerology. And I put that disclaimer there because uh, I looked around when I was creating my, my beer and food pairing course and noticed that most beer and food pairing resources that were out there were 90% this is what beer is. And these are what malt flavors are. Mm. And these are what hot flavors are. And this is the difference between a stout and a pale ale. Uh, and then there was, you know, a short chapter at the end on how to actually pair beer with food. And so what I wanted to do is create that end piece, that beer and food pairing piece. And so anyone who's taking my beer and food pairing course, I, I call it intermediate. I don't know if intermediate is the right word, but uh, anyone taking the course should already know what beer is mm -hmm. and be comfortable with beer style. So should, should know what a porter is versus an alt beer um, versus a pale ale, because I just assume when I when I'm in, you know, when I'm going through the course or when people are going through the course, I'll just say blah, 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 porter, blah, 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 blah. And I won't stop and say porter, which is a dark ale, but you know, like I don't. Yeah. So that's, that's assumed. Um, and the other thing is because this is an online course and I can't physically be there, sadly, mm -hmm. uh, I rely on each student uh, having their own 
confidence in terms of beer tasting. So if in the course I say, you know, whatever beer is in front of you, you need to be able to tell me if it's uh, has a high bitterness or low bitterness. The person taking the course has to be able to confidently say, okay, this is a high bitterness because I can't, I'm not there to, right. to confirm that. So those are the two pieces, uh, tasting beer and, um, and uh, beer styles. And the course really was designed for anyone who, who works around beer. And I firmly believe that anyone who does already has those skills, mm-hmm. but not very concerned for anyone who's looking to develop those skills. It was- <laughs> I can't, I, I can't believe I didn't come up with this myself, but it was recently pointed out to me that my book would be a great resource. Um, <laughs> bad self-promotion, bad freelancer. Um, so, so yeah, my book is a great resource. I would just say, get out there and try as many different styles as you can. There are a number of, uh, I mean, you can go my route and go with the BJCP, which is pretty intense. Uh, there's the Cicerone program who has the certified beer server which is their first level and that's a course you can take online I think it's called beer savvy so that's something you can go ahead and do but I find most people who are passionate about beer already have that skill set that's why maybe intermediate is a bit of a a a strong word but I I couldn't figure out what else to to say there and I just wanted to make sure that no one was going in knowing zero about beer Mm -hmm. and very excited about beer and food pairing and all of a sudden you know I'm talking about alt beer and they're like, what's happening? I mean, I guess they could pause the the lesson and, and, and look it up, but I feel like that would be a bit of an overwhelming experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, can you talk to us a little bit more about your course? I was watching your YouTube um, video introduction about it um, that talks about how it's in sections with, 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 ugh, with each lesson, with different lessons. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk to us a little bit more about specifically about the course. For sure. Um, so the course is online. It's entirely, you can take it anywhere, uh, anytime, um, which I understand has its own challenges. <laughs> so I did put, uh, there is a section I just added recently with um, tips on how to maximize online learning to help people with that, that format. Um, because, you know, it's very convenient to be able to take something whenever you want. Uh, but it's also very that like, there's no accountability. Mm-hmm. So for example, in this chapter, I have like a, a proposed calendar that you can like download and use to actually schedule your studies. And that's, oh, that's thing. helpful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, I, I found it necessary after talking to, mm-hmm. a, you know, getting feedback from a few people. Fair. Um, so the course is online and you can complete it from anywhere with any beers. So, okay. uh, there is no, like you must find, a bottle of this specific oh, that's beer, so nice. the course or anything like that. Um, and that's, you know, a, one of the, my bones to pick with beer literature and beer materials in general is they lean heavily on specific beers that not everyone has access to. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I wanted anyone anywhere in the world uh, to be able to, you know, obviously at this stage, understanding English is, is uh, required. Although as soon as I can, I'll, I'll make it available in French as well. And we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, the course is divided into five sections and sections include just little short video lessons. I think the longest one is 15 minutes, maybe. And most of them are around the five to 10 minute mark. Um, and it takes you through everything you need to know to pair beer and food. Mm-hmm. And 
my approach is very, and it has always been very practical. So a lot of information out there on how to bear beer with food is here's a bunch of rules. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, or here's a bunch of things that pair well together. Here's a list of beers and foods that work well together. And neither, both of those approaches are useful. Of course, you can learn a lot from, that's how I learned to pair beer with food, <laughs> but it's not the same as a step-to-step. This is how you do it. You know, mm-hmm. here you have a food in front of you. This is step one. This is step two. This is step three to get to your beer or that you have a beer in front of you. Here are the steps. Mm-hmm. So, so the five sections of the course, the first one is beer and food traits. And uh, that's required, even though people um, entering the course are expected to understand how to taste beer. I thought it was important to take a moment to really break down since matching beer and food is about finding qualities in the beer, traits in the beer that, that go well with the traits in the food. The first step is being able to identify the relevant traits in the beer and the relevant traits in the food. So the first section is uh, all about that. And it has, you know, I think a lot of things that people will already know, like the difference between taste and flavor. I think a lot of people are familiar Mm -hmm. with and um, talking about intensity, but I do go a little bit deeper and there might be like some surprising details uh, Mm -hmm. in there. And then the second section is actually how to do it. So pairing basics. So that's your, all your rules. but I do break it down in a bit of a more approachable fashion. And in terms of all the pairing interactions, I have weeded out all the ones that are really not that important and focused on the ones that you really need to be able to pair beer with food. And then uh, section three is pairings and practice. So that's like, okay, now you know your rules. We know, we know how to identify, identify traits in beer, how to identify traits in food. Now this is the step-by-step. It's the how-to. So once you get past uh, level, uh, the section three, you are completely able to pair beer with food. It is, that's really all, all you need. Section three also has um, some additional tidbits that I think some people will find more useful than others, but uh, there's a section on ending a whole meal, right? So what are the, it's one, one thing to pair one beer with one food, but what if you have three courses? Like what are the additional right. considerations? What are the other things you have to think about? And then the, the last section is even more specialized, but because it's something that I have a lot of experience in and I wanted to share, I put it in there and, you know, the people who do find it useful, find it incredibly useful. And I did how to host a beer dinner, mm-hmm. like logistically step-by-step, step, like, how do you do that? So, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone who takes the course is planning to host a beer dinner and that's fine. They can, they might still, I've, you know, I've had a few people tell me they also thought it would be useful just for at home. You know, little details like when do you pull the beers out of the fridge? How do you make sure the beers are the right temperature? That kind of thing is more universal. It doesn't necessarily require, you know, a public tasting. Mm -hmm. So those are the first three sections. Section four is advanced techniques. So this course is really designed for someone at any level, uh, as long as they know their style and their tasting. So, so I would imagine someone who's really new to beer and food pairing would do sections one, two, and three, and then take a few months to just practice and grow before going into section four and you have a full year to, to complete the course. So it's really, there's no pressure to just get it all done. Mm -hmm. Uh, But someone who is more advanced, I've had a number of uh, advanced Cicerones, for example, take the course and they've just gone right through and they have found a lot of very useful information in the advanced techniques. Interestingly, they also found useful information before because Again, anyone who started around the time that I started, uh, or, or I would say most people in beer and, and food pairing have like read some rules and read some pairings, 
sort of developed an instinctive way to pair mm -hmm. beer and food. Mm -hmm. And so what my course does is it helps you understand like, and this was my journey too, was okay, this is instinctive to me, but what am I actually doing? What is mm -hmm. going on in my brain? Um, and so I've gotten a lot of feedback about how useful that is, the more sort of deliberate approach and deliberate understanding of what is going on. Um, on a huge tangent. So number four is advanced techniques and number five is presentation. So just how do you present your pairings in the best light in terms of serving, serving size, glassware, temperature, those kinds of details. Uh, and that's the course. And I suppose now that the pandemic may be um, slowing down more, you might have some live events coming up where restaurant owners might be designing menus and having a group of people come or... I've, uh, I've done a lot, a lot of beer dinners in my day. And uh, at this stage, I'm, I'm very much focused on the course. So okay. the one thing that uh, I might be doing, I did do one last year and it went super well, is called uh, a cohort is the technical term. Uh, and what that is, is that I take a group through the course. Mm. So, uh, for example, on a Monday, we'll all meet on Zoom and we'll chat and then they have a whole week to complete section one. And the following Monday, we meet up again, I answer questions, we do activities to sort of strengthen uh, the understanding and help with the synthesis. I mean, the course already comes with quizzes, homework, assignments, handouts, you know, and in everything that I do, and especially because this was a remote learning situation, I wanted to make sure that students had every potential opportunity to strengthen and confirm their knowledge. Um, but with this cohort, we, you know, we meet once a week. So that increases that accountability of, mm -hmm. oh, I have to finish this section because we're all going to be chatting about it yeah. in a week. And it also gives, you know, a deeper opportunity for learning and it builds that, that community. So, mm -hmm. so that is something that I would like to do again. I just have to see scheduling wise, mm -hmm. I might, when I might be able to pull it off and that would be uh, a separate offering right. uh, of the course. So I would say that's the next step for me. And Hopefully people who are taking the class uh, as the pandemic eases will be now hosting a bunch of fun beer dinners. Yeah. Uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was watching your YouTube earlier actually. And one of your videos in particular struck, uh, stuck out to me. And it's probably something that you're going to talk about on the course, which is um, uh, questioning old beer habits. Um, and I really particularly enjoyed your video on the three C's of food pairing. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So that's a, a series of four videos that I put together. Ooh, when did I do that? Maybe two, two or three years ago. And again, you know, my work with biology is always trying to move the industry forward. And so these are four things I noticed that we're always talking about. And we just assume that's the way things are. And I felt needed uh, to be questioned a little bit. Um, hence questioning old beer habits. And so there's, there's four of the videos, but yes, one of them is the three C's and it's, it's always, I mean, I have done extensive research. I can't even figure out where these three C's come from, <laughs> you know, like when did that start? I know that um, to the best of my understanding, two of the C's came from, uh, two, two of the C's came from wine. Um, I think. But uh, I don't know, I don't know the history. Anyway, long story short, when we talk about 
the three C's, cut, complement, and contrast, we talk about them being three different ways to pair beer with food. So mm-hmm. you can either have a cut pairing, a complement pairing, or a contrast pairing. And the, the truth is that, that you have to have a complement and a, and a contrast in any pairing. And the cut is already built in. So, so what I argue in that video is that you need all three in each pairing. Mm-hmm. From there, yes, you can, you know what, and that's all I say in the video. In my course, I then go on to explain how to construct a complement pairing or how to construct a contrast pairing, keeping also the other C's in mind to support that pairing. Because a pairing mm-hmm. can't be about one element right? Mm -hmm. If I just look at one of the flavors in the beer and one of the flavors in the food and pair those two, yeah, it it could be very good, but chances are it, there's a chance it could be a train wreck. So Mm -hmm. you have to take everything into account, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how many courses in a meal would you recommend? Like five small courses, um, like appetizer, main dessert with a couple of snacks in between, or what is kind of the sweet spot? I, I don't think there is a sweet spot. I mean, hmm. okay. it uh, depends on the occasion, depends on, you know, the energy of the chef, obviously. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I do address this in the course. I think the key thing, obviously, is the more courses you have, the smaller the portions. Hmm. And the more courses you have, the more you really have to be careful, and mindful of serving size too mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. Uh, with alcohol. Um, I've, most of my food pairing work has been, you know, in public events and, and at restaurants and things like that. And so for me, responsible drinking is always a piece of it because people have driven to come to the event and I want them to, mm-hmm. if they want, you know, if they have to drive, be aware of how much they're, they're imbibing. And so mm-hmm. that's also, um, I provide some tools to help with that in the course as well. But in terms of the number of courses, you know, there, I think there will come a point where your palate will probably be shot and you won't be enjoying the pairings as much, but uh, you know, I've enjoyed five, seven course meals as long as you take it slowly and have little breaks. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's uh, an ideal number. Okay. Even just one pairing is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I suppose having water available or something to cleanse in between would be really important as well. Yeah, water is great for sure. A little, uh, a little entremet of some sort. Uh, you know, even like a little fruit beer can be a nice little, a little break, mm-hmm. a light fruit beer, just something to to change your palate between courses for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much a fan of the crackers. And that's another one of my uh, old habits videos. If anyone <laughs> I was just going to, I was just going to, I was just going to make a joke about judging at BJCP competitions where we, we get the table crackers in between each beer. Um, yeah. That's our, that's our palate cleanser. <laughs> Big pack of crackers. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There seems to be a trend that I've noticed here in Ireland anyway, that some of the breweries include on their cans um, suggested food pairings. Is that something you've seen in Canada? I Not on cans, not okay. on cans. I've seen it on, on websites, mm-hmm. but uh, that is really interesting and lovely, I think. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and something I would like to see more of. And that's part of, again, with your trying to move the industry forward and see what's next. And 
when I started 10 years ago, my big goal was to get craft beer into get more people excited and drinking craft Mm -hmm. beer. Because Mm -hmm. when I started, you had to go to those specialty bars, you know, and now we're at the stage where pretty much, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak for Ireland, but um, in North America, that was the case. And now anywhere you go, there's going to be one, two, three, if not craft beers, you know, at least flavorful, there's going to be an IPA of some sort on, on draft. Um, so my, my feeling is, you know, those, those first years were about let's get those beers into all of the establishments. And the next phase is, okay, now that we have those beers, let's use them to their maximum potential. And mm. food pairing for me is a big piece of that because it helps so much with enjoyment and understanding of beer. It's a wonderful customer experience. It, you know, it increases sales. And so that to me is the next step. And I think it's absolutely, I mean, so forward thinking that some of the breweries are already putting it on mm-hmm. their cans mm-hmm. and uh, assuming they're good pairings. Are they good pairings? They're yeah, good no, they're, they're good. They're good pairings. Okay. Um, and, and I do think a lot of breweries in Ireland are really cognizant of the food element. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, um, there's been quite a few beer dinners, um, really fancy, very nice beer dinners, and also a little bit more casual uh, beer dinners. We've done something with, uh, done a couple beer dinners with the Ladies Craft Beer Society of Ireland. Um, and it's definitely something that I think a lot of brewers in Ireland are really wanting to interact with the, the concept of this local beer is brewed here. And then we're using the, you know, the vegetables from the farm down the street and we're using mm-hmm. you know, this from our friend, you know, who grows this. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of brewery owners also have a pub. So for example, we did a trip down to see Western herd at brewery in, in Clare, in County Clare. And they also have, um, there's, they also have a pub down there. So, so it perfectly marries their, their beer and of course their food. And it's, it just ends up being just a really wonderful all around experience. And I think a lot of breweries do seem passionate about that here. And I think that's Mm -hmm. excellent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think there's um, definitely room for brew pubs um as the restrictions lift and some of the licensing laws change um and maybe even for festivals and tap takeovers to kind of plan in advance you know what beers are going to be there and what foods they have on offer and included in their program yes yes that's the next level right (laughs) and like and like i will say for for like the ladies craft beer society of ireland some of our like most attended or favorited events are are like silly beer and food pairings like we did like beer and popcorn um (laughs) just for fun which was great it was um a small local popcorn producer and then a couple of beers and it was really really fun and different and so i kind of also enjoy the 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 beer and food pairings that maybe aren't as expected i don't know yeah <laughs> i we, i agree we did an event this was oh yeah for sure we did an event this was a number of years ago and we just for to be silly we scheduled it on halloween but it was a, a beer beer and insect pairing <laughs> so we cooked uh crickets and i mean nice. insects are a, a sustainable Mm-hmm. source of protein. Mm-hmm. And I've always been an advocate for that. So we had like a little cricket farm and we had a cricket farmer explaining uh, how it's done and the value of the, the proteins and insects. And then we had a chef prepare the insects in a various different ways and paired beard with that. So it's also, I think, a, a lovely 
lovely opportunity to to educate and to introduce people to new things. I also mm-hmm. ran a beer and opera pairing event. Ooh, and that. so my general feeling is if you include beer, you're going to attract a certain number of people and they'll, they'll come, you know, like most of the people who went to that, if I ran it four years in a row, it was called Hopra. And I would say awesome. 70% of the people who came to the event had never listened to opera before and mm. were just there for the beer mm-hmm. and because they were intrigued and a number of them, you know, had a bit of a, a, a an aha moment of like, wait, opera isn't as what I thought it was, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and then, sure. uh, then we had a few people who were just into opera and intrigued by the event and enjoyed the beer. And then there was that small sliver, which I'm a part of, uh, of people who enjoyed both beer uh, and opera and who had like the time of their life because it was a pretty fun event. It sounds right up uh, Lisa Grimm's uh, husband, Chris's alley. We'll have to, we'll have to tell him <laughs> about that because he, he loves opera. Um, no, that just sounds really cool. I, I love the idea of especially unexpected pairings with beer mm-hmm. um getting people from two different worlds actually um involved so you know you get the beer geeks that l- now are interested in opera and the opera lovers now possibly interested in beer and uh, yeah i think that's just really cool um no christina i think um you and i love halloween more than anyone i know and i believe before i found the society you did a pairing with halloween candy and beer yes yeah that was that was a lot of fun um oh yeah Halloween candy goes really well with beer but you know anything Halloween goes really well with beer (laughs) sorry Marilla what were you saying well now I've just thought of something else which is uh I used to I used to do a podcast with the Ontario craft brewers and we did for uh October one year do a do a beer and candy pairing and it was um so myself who I'm, I, I might've been a master cicerone at the time. I might not. Uh, and two brewmasters and we were, you know, earnestly tasting beers with different candies and really breaking it down. And I remember just having this moment as we were all three doing this and just thinking that this is so ridiculous. It's so <laughs> ridiculously, but like we are, and we, you know, the truth is it does pair spectacularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, Christina. Um, but you know, to have like these, the, these three of us like so concentrated and like genuinely breaking down these pairings and the, it was just uh yeah those are I I agree some some of the most beautiful moments in beer because beer is an everyday beverage and mm-hmm. so I, I find those moments uh, really serve to remind us that uh you know it, it doesn't need to be fancy yes it mm-hmm. needs to be appreciated and sure. understood but it's still beer you know? Yeah, exactly. And I love the nostalgia of it. Like as someone who used to love going trick or treating, like taking candy corn and pairing it with like yeah. a, a lawnmower beer was just so <laughs> whimsical. Like it was just so fun um, to just kind of bring all those things in and, and yeah, to, to, to have all these really interesting pairings and, and be able to have this experience, but also to, it's just fun. Like it's just fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah. I think is just wonderful. Yeah. And it really gets conversations going. Yeah. Yeah. And I almost never eat meat, but when I heard about the chicken wing and beer pairing, I said like, I would probably try that at least once. So uh, my goal is to get lots of Girl Scout cookies in my suitcase the next time I'm in the U S and bring them over here and we can have fun with that and beer. So (laughs) have you, have you gotten into the insects, Erica? 
Uh, I ha I've tried like uh, sour cream and uh, onion crickets um, on Yeah. their own. Um, and I've had some like lollipops that have uh, some Yep. type of bug in them, but I haven't ever thought to have them with beer. So we might have to try that, <laughs> Christina. Yeah, you can <laughs> also get uh, flour, uh, you know, the ground, I think it's ground crickets Sure. and it's Oh, okay. a, an excellent source of protein and super, I mean, I don't know your reasons for being vegetarian, but it's super sustainable Yeah. uh, and an excellent source of protein. And um, it's something I'm vocal about because people get squicked out with the idea, but it's, it's completely normal in other parts of the world and something I Yeah. think we need to embrace more and more as the, as we, you know, realize the dire situation that our Yes. planet is in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, climate change is not going anywhere and we need to really, as individuals, do what we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, things just took a serious turn. Oh, I know. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> well, what why, happens when you get three women together? Yeah. why don't we lighten the mood? And if you have any favorite breweries or beers or styles that you want to give a shout out to, um, you might just list some of those. I actually is as part of my um, mandate with beerology and for the past 10 years, I have never named a brewery or Okay. a specific beer. That's fair And enough. uh, that's just how I roll with beerology. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did. Well, first of all, let, let me just generally answer your, your question and say that uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure what the weather is like out where the two of you are, but it Cold. is in the negative. It is in the negative 15, negative 20 Not that zone cold. over here. Um, and we have a good uh, two feet of snow. And I just, I just need amber ales all the time. I need amber ales. Um, not, I don't know, for some reason, porters and stouts, they're not round and luscious enough to, to give me that, that round feeling that I need. And I've become quite obsessed over the, the pandemic. One of my comfort foods has been pizza. Uh So I make uh, a pizza with four, four cheeses uh, with um Uh, like a, a mozzarella, like a sharp cheddar, a blue cheese, and like a provolone, and then I pair that with the that amber ale, and it just gives me that that moment that I need uh, these days. But otherwise, you know, I've very much, um, you know, occasion led in terms of the kinds of you know I love my pilsners in the summer and my my you know, when I'm out with friends I'm usually drinking IPA. It just it just depends on the mood, and I find that, like. And this is something that people who have read my book will may have read between the lines a little bit. But to me, like there is a mood connection with Absolutely. beers, you know, like when I'm feeling really mellow, I don't want an IPA, <laughs> you know, or when I'm feeling very energetic, you know, I don't I don't want an imperial stout. Sure. So it's just uh, it's just the way it is. Um, there was something I wanted to use this platform, though, to talk about. <laughs> Maybe not so much a lighter note, but a bit of a lighter note. And especially because this is an, an Irish podcast, because I've been on a bit of a crusade for the past 10 years. So I want to uh, enlist both yours and your listeners' support. And uh, it started just over 10 years ago when I discovered St. Bridget of uh, uh, Kildare That's right. and how awesome she was. And I read so much about her and I mean, her. strong connection with beer and her you know multiplication of the beer and her turning her bath water into beer and so since that day 
every year on St. Bridget's Day, which is February 1st, mm -hmm. uh, I campaign for a day to celebrate women working in beer. I really feel that we, we need a day to celebrate women and St. Bridget is like the perfect original, you know, person to turn to for that. So I just want to take a moment. I mean, February 1st is past, but you no, know, maybe next year, uh, something to think about on February 1st, because there's a lot of women brewing beer, a lot of women in the industry, mm -hmm. and they, they should be celebrated and uplifted. And I feel like that's the, that's the day to do it. I, uh, I'm going to join you on that. Um, same Bridget. Well, of course, I'm writing the, the book on the history of beer in Ireland. And uh, my first chapter begins with Bridget. Um, well, <laughs> a lot of it's just about Bridget, um, whether she's real or not. But um, her story is really important. And her, well, her many stories are really important to, to, to learning about monastic brewing in, in the medieval period and just about importance of women in brewing in general. Because, um, of course, she, her and St. Patrick are two of the most important saints in Ireland, if not the most important mm -hmm. saints in Ireland. And um, hopefully, well, we now are going to have Bridges Day as a national holiday over here. Um, so that's great for us. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, and, and actually, in her honor this year on Bridges Day, I did brew a medieval small ale, um, which I'm turning into a braggot. Sweet. So, so that's, that's happening. That. So <laughs> are you saying there's a, there's a chance that, uh, are you saying there's a chance that St. Bridget didn't exist? Oh yeah. So like the, the, she is possibly a juxtaposition of different women. So the only, the first sort of resource we have about St. Bridget was written about hundred, 150 years after she was reported to have lived. Um, so by Cogistus in about 650 and she's in the 500s. So whether she was real or not is debatable by historians. Some historians would say that her existence is not necessarily supported um, because the reason that she was written about has a lot of political implications um, within the early medieval Irish church um, and sort of oh. a power play of um, whose uh, church and whose area was more important, of course, because she founded the Church of Kildare, which is the Church of the Oak, um, which was in direct competition with other churches. So there, there is some, there's some arguments about whether she's historically um, true or not, but but the reality is, is whether she is or not, people thought she was. Mm -hmm. And that is so important yeah. um, because her myths are repeated over and over and over again. And it's the same with St. Patrick. So in the course of writing this book, for example, um, to go off on a little quick tangent, and then I promise I'll rein myself in on this. <laughs> but um, so, for example, for St. Patrick, uh, in the early 19, in the 1930s, the 1920s, um, Ireland, uh, the government of Ireland went around to different schools and had children interview older people. So um, gentlemen and women in their 80s, 70s, and talk about folk stories that they heard. And the amount of stories that I find um, about these older folks recalling about like St. Patrick and all these old saints that have to do with beer, the saints brewing beer, um, miraculous um, ale wives, and these sorts of things that are well into the 1930s is interesting and important. So even if these people did or did not exist, their folklore continued for centuries and millennia. And I think that is so so important and so mm -hmm. they're they're them being real is less important <laughs> and i i believe agreed. Um, the last couple of years i've seen in the irish newspapers several articles around bridget's day and um kids in schools um make reads um 
read crosses um, to honor her. And this year, several of the buildings around Dublin uh, lit up uh, to memorialize St. Bridget. So I think there's a lot more awareness. And uh, with that day comes the first day of spring here. Um, it's not on the, the equinox like it might be in other countries. So um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of like light and energy involved. And um, I think it is a nice myth that a lot of people still do believe. Yeah, I think well, it, I think it's wonderful uh, that it's the first day of spring too. I'm like, springtime, it's February. What are you talking about, spring? <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking outside right now, and I can tell you it's not spring over here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I as long as she has a day, I'm going to continue to campaign. Yeah, uh, I haven't had much traction yet, but I I really think it's uh, it would be a, a lovely thing if internationally St. Mm -hmm. Bridget's Day was a was a day to celebrate women in beer yeah. and. I've been posting about it every, every year for 10 years and I've uh, gotten some traction with like a few radio segments, but uh, you know, uh, the quest continues and I hope you will support me in this quest because <laughs> yeah. I think it's worthwhile. <laughs> definitely. 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 Um, and I would just like to say, I, I was very impressed with the testimonials um, on your mm -hmm. website and with your work as a consultant. And if you would like to, um, give the handles for any Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we would love to share them in our show notes if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. I'm, uh, I'm, I've managed to be at Beerology everywhere, which I'm pretty proud of. That was no mean feat. It took quite a while to, to organize, <laughs> but uh, I am, I would say principally, Actually, yeah, I'm not on social media very much, but um, mm -hmm. if you are very interested in beer trivia and what's going on in beer and the latest in beer, both my uh, Twitter and my Facebook are very much focused on, you know, interesting things going on mm -hmm. in the beer world. And it's also a place where you can, you know, I'll post if I'm ever doing something new. I'm also on Instagram where I'm a little bit less active. Uh, again, as Beerology, my website is Beerology.ca. And then my course is uh, Beerology.Thinkific.com. And there's also a Mastering Beer and Food Pairing brought to you by Beerology Facebook page. Perfect. But I'm pretty sure if I did my job right, again, not the best self-promoter, but <laughs> if, I would hope that if you go to any of my social media uh, handles, you could find my course through mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. <laughs> And we'll share the course and all the details in our show notes and on our social Fantastic. media. So anyone who's listening, you. you can just click along and, and get right to it. <laughs> so um, we'll wrap up there. And I just want to say thank you so much, uh, Marella, for coming on. We learned so much. Um, your course sounds amazing. Just like a wonderful course for people who have some some knowledge of beer and just want to just take it to that next level with, with food pair pairings. It just it sounds so, so interesting. So thank you for coming on and and sharing that with us today. Thanks. Thank you very much. I've gotten great feedback on the course and I'm excited about more people taking it and uh, hopefully more food pairing happening. That'd be yeah. wonderful. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. This has been Thank lovely. you. All right. Cheers. So goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.